I'll invite you to find Mark chapter 7 in your Bible. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 31 this morning. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. This is our, our jumping off point passage for today. In this passage, we're going to see another person meet Jesus. That has been a big theme as we've been working through Mark, seeing different sorts of people encounter Jesus. We've seen people who were possessed by demons encounter Jesus and be freed. We've seen many, many sick people encounter Jesus and be healed. Uh, We've seen Jesus called disciples. We've seen Jesus rebuke religious hypocrites. Uh, We've seen all sorts of things. Last week... We saw a Gentile woman boldly come and beg Jesus on behalf of her daughter, and Jesus drawing out her faith, healing her daughter from a distance. Today, we're going to meet a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. We're going to see him meet Jesus, and my prayer is that as we read this, that we'll encounter Jesus in this text and the other texts we're going to look at as well. Let's start by reading it. It's a good place to begin. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Then he, referring to Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now let's pray together. Let's pray for God to reveal to us what he wants to say to us this morning. I believe he has a message for each of us, each of you, in his word this morning. And we need his help to understand it. I desperately need his help to proclaim his word well. So would you bow with me and let's pray before we study these things. Father, thank you so much for revealing yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, and through your word. Lord, I feel that you have a message for your people this morning. I fear that my weaknesses will hinder that message And I just ask that you would um, not let that be the case, that you would let your word do its work in my heart and in all of our hearts this morning with clarity. Uh, If there's anything that I've planned to say that is off base, I pray that you would uh, just, that my eyes wouldn't even see that in my notes. And if there's anything that you wish to say through this pulpit this morning, I pray that you would give that to me. Lord, help us to see you in your word. Help us to be freed from ourselves a little bit this morning as we look upon you and your character and your goodness 
in all that you have done for us and given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, let those who are here who are tangled up in sin or sorrow or whatever it may be, let them be free just like this man. Lord, please minister to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I always appreciate you praying during our services. So I've been meditating on this passage this week, and I really have been drawn to just one aspect of it. This is almost the last healing of this sort that we're going to see in Mark. Uh, We'll see a few more as we move forward, but things are really about to change in the book as we go forward. And so as we think about this, I think it would be good to look back at the other healings and Jesus' other ministry and see how this one's a little bit different. Why, for instance... With this man, does Jesus take him aside from the crowd privately? He doesn't do that for everyone. The Gentile woman that we looked at last week came to him in a a house, and presumably there was other people around. Many of the healings were just done in public, just masses of people, and he was healing people. Why did he take this man aside and do it privately? Why did he touch this man in such a particular way? Why did he put his fingers in his ears and after spitting, touch his tongue? And probably he spat on his finger and touched the man's tongue. Why did he do that? Did he have to do that for the healing to take place? I mean, the the little girl that he freed from the demon just verses prior, he did from a distance. He didn't even go to the girl Based on the mom's faithful prayer, he said, based on your faith, your daughter's healed. He didn't even have to go. Yet with this man, he gets very tactile with them and fingers in the ears and in the mouth. Why? Why did he do this, this ritual of looking up to heaven and sighing and saying this word, which I did look up to make sure I said correctly, Ephatha, which means be opened. Did he need to do that in order for the healing to take place? I mean, there were many other people that only touched Jesus' garment and they were healed. And there was no need for a ritual or, or anything like that. And I look back over his ministry to, to individuals through Mark so far, and I see that it's all highly individualized. And there's really no explanation given to us for that. Uh, it doesn't explain here why he did it the way he did it, and we can um, we can guess. But I have a particular truth about God Himself that I think this is illustrative illustrative of illustrative of. That was illustrative of mispronunciation. Some of you are paying attention. Many of you are not. Sadly. So what I want to do is use this passage as a a window to look beyond just this event and beyond just the book of Mark and learn something about God himself. And I think it would be very helpful to us. So remember that Jesus is God's clearest communication of himself to the world. Jesus is God's clearest communication of himself to the world. If you want to know what is God like, look at Jesus Christ. It's the clearest picture. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So that's how God revealed himself long ago. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the message from God now. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus Christ, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and it goes on about his glory. But the big idea I want us to consider right now is that Jesus is the exact Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. So when we look at Jesus in Mark chapter 7, we are learning about God himself. You see Jesus, you see God's glory, and you see God's nature. Now, I think this story, along with the other stories of Jesus interacting with individuals, I think they're all examples of one particular aspect of God's nature, God's glory. And that is his individual knowledge and care for people. God's individual knowledge and care for people. So yes, Jesus does a lot of mass teaching. He fed masses of thousands. He did a lot to the masses. But if you ever ran into him one-on-one, he dealt with you as an individual. And he knew you as an individual. And his ministry to you was tailored for you, tailor fit for you. This is the same God that David writes about in Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This is the God that Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. David writes in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. See, I think when Jesus encounters this man who is deaf and has a speech impediment, in a very real way, it's not the first time they've met. Jesus, as the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature, has searched him and known him. And something in that individual searching, knowing process prompted Jesus to take him off to the side privately. Whereas something in his searching and knowledge of the Gentile we read about last week, the Gentile woman, prompted him to go ahead and deal with her by speaking a parable. He didn't speak a parable to the deaf man with the speech impediment. Well, he was deaf at first, so it may not have helped. He treats each individual uniquely, depending on who that individual is. You know, all the people that he taught just prior to our study of the Gentile woman. He treated them in a certain way. He discerned 
God discerns our thoughts from afar. So something about his discernment of the man's thoughts made it seem most appropriate to touch him in the ears and on the tongue. Something in his discernment of the thoughts of the Pharisees made him rebuke them harshly and call them hypocrites and say, in vain do you worship me, your hearts are far from me. How did he know? Because he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he searches hearts from afar. says in Psalm 139, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Jesus looked at this man and he knew his path. He knew his ways. And something about that individual unique knowledge of him led him to uh, say a prayer and sigh and do a visible interaction with God, whereas many other times he didn't do that. And it says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it altogether. So those first clear words that the man was able to say without the impediment. Jesus, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, had predicted beforehand. Just like he knew the crowd was hungry, just like he knew what the apostles would experience when they went out. Jesus is the radiance of God's glorious attention to individuals. He's the exact imprint of God's natural tendency to know and search out and love individuals, including you. Now, this means lots of things, and I actually searched all through the Scripture for anything that it says directly related to the fact that God knows you as an individual, and I came up with a long list, and I was actually even able to get everything on the list to start with the letter P, If you can alliterate a long list, you are a great preacher. But even so, I decided to trim it back to just three things that just felt to me to be the most helpful things right now for us. Um, But there's many others, and they can all start with P. And I'll let you try to search your Bibles and see if you can do that. It takes a lot of seminary training to be able to do that. Before I share these three, these three implications of the fact that God is so interested in us as individuals, not just as crowds, I hope that you feel that. I hope that you're not thinking that you're here um, invisibly cloaked in the crowd, because you're not. God sees you, knows you. Better than you know you. Right now, he knows you. He knows those thoughts. He knows those fears. He knows you. And he loves you. Not just because you're in the group. Okay, because he is interested in the individual. So one one of the first implications I'll share with you is purpose. God's individual interest in you means you have great purpose. And when he called the prophet Jeremiah to begin his prophetic ministry, he said in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before he was born, he was known, consecrated, appointed. 
Now, you might be saying, well, that's Jeremiah. He was called to be a prophet, and that's something spectacular, out of the ordinary. Uh, God's not that intimately engaged with me, surely. You know, I look in the mirror, and it doesn't really look like God formed me so carefully. I look at my life, and it doesn't really look like God has really consecrated or appointed me for anything in particular. It seems like I am in this random pinball machine of circumstantial stuff, just smacking me around, and I'm bouncing around. Well, I do think that God is just as intimately involved with you, and for that, I'll go back to Psalm 139 again, this time starting at verse 13. You know, the Psalms were meant for corporate worship. You know, most of the time, you can take what the Psalms say to be pretty generally true of all God's people. Now, I believe that's the case here for Psalm 139, starting at verse 13. He writes, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now, if if God gave us this to be used in corporate worship, generally used by his people for all time, I have to believe that this is something that we can say and pray and it be true. We did not get churned out on this big assembly line of people. God with a, a clipboard saying, okay, keep it moving, keep it moving. Okay, the imagery here is knitting. I know nothing about knitting to elaborate on that, but I can picture, I can picture someone knitting. And it's careful work. It's focused work. You have to look at it. And you have to do it by hand. Okay, that's the imagery when you think about how you were brought about, where you came from. Knitted together. If, if you could find a tag on yourself, on your soul, it would say handmade with care by God. And you think, well, what about the bad parts of me and the bad parts of my days? Because it doesn't only say that he carefully formed you. It says that he carefully wrote out all the days that you were going to live before you lived one of them. And you look at all the bad and you think, well, what about this? What about that? You know, the blind man in John must have felt like there was some mistake. I should have looked at what chapter it was, but I don't remember. But it's in John. There's a man who's blind from birth, and the disciples come, and they say to Jesus, so why is he blind? Is it his sin, or was it someone else's sin, like his father's sin? And Jesus says, it's not anything like that. Okay, this man is this way so that... God can display his works in him. This man is this way. This man was born blind so that God can display his works in him. This deaf man that we read about in Mark chapter 7, I have to believe that Jesus would have said the same thing if the disciples had asked the same question. Why is he deaf? Why does he have a speech impediment? Does he have some sin in his life? Was there some malfunction? 
Was it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus would have very likely have said, no, this is so God can display his works in him. And I'll bet for this man in Mark chapter 7, indeed, his deafness and his speech impediment for the rest of his life would be part of the greatest story that he had of how glorious God is, how good God is. Every time he would go to dinner with his friends or meet new people, I bet he would tell them, you know, I'm talking to you now, clearly. It wasn't always that way. In fact, I used to be I couldn't hear anything. But then I met Jesus Christ, and everything changed. And for him, that weakest point, that point of the most shame and the most sorrow in his life became the doorway to the greatest things, the most glorious things. His clearest and most powerful encounter with God came through the avenue of his deafness and his speech impediment. Now, I really believe, based on the rest of the Council of Scripture, that that's sort of how God works. That probably the best works God is going to do in your life are going to come through the worst aspects of your life. I know for me personally, the very best, most glorious things the Lord has ever done for me came through the avenue of my own darkest sin, my, my own most inescapable sin of my youth. I look back on now and I see that as this beautiful doorway that Jesus walked through into my life. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what right now is your hardest thing in your life, your most regrettable thing, your most shameful thing in your life, the thing that you most wish just was not part of your life. Well, it is part of your life. Okay, and it's not a part of your life because God's looking the other way and he doesn't realize it. So my guess is, based on God's word, is that that might be the very part of your life that he most will do his work, where he will display his works, his glory, his forgiveness, his sustaining power. It may not be that he will come down to you and put his fingers in your ears, but it might be that he will supernaturally sustain you through it. One way or the other, go to him, and I guarantee that that will be part of your testimony of his goodness to you. Purpose. I believe we find great purpose in the fact that we are individually known and cared for and loved by God. The other one I want to share with you, one of the other ones, is peace. Purpose, peace. See that alliteration? In Sunday school this morning, I got to sit in with the adults. Uh, We experimented with a different arrangement for the room, and I wanted to see how that did and just how it was going in there. And Tom and Julia did an excellent job teaching through uh, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches all about anxiety and worry. And it's a great passage, a great passage for me, because yes, I experience anxiety. I'm sure that you thought I was perfect because I'm your pastor. And I am very far from it. In fact, um, I lately, I've shared this with Richard in the prayer meetings. It's been just me and Richard in the prayer meetings, by the way. little sidebar guilt trip for you there. Um, but it's been great. Richard and I have been praying each Sunday morning. And I've shared with him that for whatever reason, over the last several weeks, I've had a lot of anxiety on Sunday mornings. Just like one Sunday a while back, it felt like it was choking me. I mean, it, I... 
it was all I could do, just get through the sermon. And I know you're saying it's all we can do most Sundays to get through the sermon. And I don't know, I don't really, it's like an unnamed anxiety. Uh, so it was a very helpful lesson for me, and I really appreciate you guys faithfully teaching in there. Um, but I want to go, I want to look at that passage. Because I think remembering that God loves and cares for us and knows us as individuals can be a real source of peace for us. So I'll read it for you. It's Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Jesus was teaching his disciples and the crowds around them and behind them, and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, Don't be anxious, because your heavenly Father knows He knows you. He knows your needs. He knows your situation. He knows your circumstance. I mean, he knows the bird, the individual bird that decorated your car yesterday right after you washed it. He knows that bird. He knows where the bird is right now. He knows the blades of grass beneath your leaves in your yard. He knows them. If he knows them, provides for them, cares for them, You can guarantee he knows you, loves you, cares for you, will provide for you. There's great peace in knowing that God is not just generally interested in a mass of people, but he's interested in you specifically. The other night, Friday night, our kids went Christmas caroling with their school, all their classmates, down at the Locust Town Center in Locust. And so we went out there, it was nighttime, and there was a huge crowd of parents, and I guess they were all parents. There was a bunch of people gathered here, and the kids were on risers here. And we got there a little bit late, and our kids ran in and joined the group. And, uh, you know, Elias was sort of over here, Lillian was sort of over here, and they're singing their carols. They've been practicing these songs at school. And it was really nice, really festive. And I was watching the kids, and I noticed that both of them would frequently look up at me and Meredith. And I'm pretty sure what they were doing was seeing if we were, if we were looking, seeing if we were watching. You know, they've been practicing this. They're proud of this, and they're, they're proud to do this in front of their parents. They kept looking up to see if we were watching. And uh, Travis Hutchison was there because his kids go to school there too. He's a uh, pastor at Shiloh, if you don't know Travis. Of course, he comes over and is talking to me. And uh, I'm trying to listen to him. But really, I want when Elias looks up, I want him to see me looking at him. And I want him to know that I am there paying attention to him. I don't want him to look up and see me talking with Travis about theology. He always gets into like heavy theology right off the bat. Meredith and I joke about it. 
no matter what's going on around us. Intense theological discussion. So, and I want when Lillian looks up for her to see that I'm looking at her. Okay, I'm, I'm focused on her. I'm focused on him. Now, I can only do one kid at a time, and occasionally Travis, and, and try to be looking at them when they look up so they know that I'm attentive to them, that I love them. Now, God is glorious and amazing because he's able to keep his eyes on each and every one of us at all times. 24 hours a day, searching us, knowing us, discerning our thoughts from afar, remaining acquainted with our ways. You, you are sitting there, and you are looking at me, and if you'll look up, you'll see that God is looking at you. When you're trying to get out the door, late for work, dogs barking, whatever is going on, if you look up, you'll see God is looking at you. You're at work, doing your job, the, the daily grind. If you look up, you'll see he's looking at you. He's paying attention to you. In the dark moments, the bright moments, all the time, his eyes are on you. He's looking at you right now. He's over here. He's looking at you right now over there. He's looking at the people at Arlington Baptist Church down the road. He's looking at the people in Washington, D.C. He's looking at the people in Syria. He's attentive to all the individuals. That is mind-boggling. That is mind-boggling. You know, we think it's cool that Santa can somehow visit every house in one night, and the movies all try to explain how that can be to try to keep the mass deception going for the big evil red man. You know, we make up that myth, and it's far-fetched, but kids want to believe it so bad, and we, we want them to believe it because it's magical. And I don't have, a, I'm not, it's not a war against Santa Claus. But man, isn't God pretty amazing? I mean, shouldn't our kids be thinking God is awesome? Shouldn't our kids be rejoicing in all the gifts God gives them? He is amazing. He is awesome. He is glorious. He's praiseworthy. So knowing that he loves us so individually and cares for us in such an individually tailored way can give us a great sense of purpose. Now, even when life doesn't seem to be going the way we always thought it ought to, which is probably most of the time for most of us, um, even, even when we don't even understand things about ourselves, why they have to be the way they are. Okay, God is attentive there and purposeful there, and there's great peace in remembering that. And then finally, it has implications for prayer. So I mentioned when this deaf man looked into Jesus' eyes, uh, he, he did not see in Jesus' eyes like the newness that you see when you meet someone for the first time, I, I would imagine. I don't think that he saw that newness of meeting someone for the first time. I don't even think that he just saw recognition. I think what he saw was expertise. When he met Jesus, he met an expert in himself. Okay, God doesn't just sort of know you generally. He is an expert in you searches you 
out, knows you, discerns your thoughts. Uh, he, he's not just seeing you in his field of vision, in his peripheral vision. He is examining you, just moving things around. He wants to see everything about you. Searched, known, discerned, acquainted, even predicted. Now, I believe that's the same for each of us. Now, some of you, you don't even understand yourself, if you're honest. And often I fall into that category, like with my weekly Sunday anxiety. I don't understand that. I know all these true things. Why am I feeling that? So you may not understand you, but I guarantee God understands you. In a minute, we're going to have a time of prayer and it's labeled intercessory prayer in your bulletin. I'm going to talk about that a little bit before we enter into that time. But perhaps there's people that are just heavy on your mind and on your heart. And if you're honest with yourself, you might have to admit you don't understand them. You just don't get it. Why they do what they do, why they don't believe in Jesus Christ, why they don't respond to the love and the reaching out, why they keep making these decisions, uh, you don't understand them, but I guarantee God understands them. Because God knows us and cares about us so individually, and because he loves you, I really believe that he wants you to interact with him in prayer. And so I thought what would be very fitting is for us to close out the sermon time with a time of prayer. Now, it may be, like I said, it's labeled intercessory prayer, which means praying for someone else, kind of like the people did with the deaf man. They brought him to Jesus and begged on his behalf for Jesus to put his hand on him. That's basically what intercession is. And perhaps the Spirit has put someone on your mind or on your heart. And this is your opportunity to do what these people did for that deaf man, to bring that person or that family or these people to God through Jesus Christ and beg him to put his hand on them. Beg him to free them from whatever, the sin or the situation, or um, beg God to save their souls. You know, I trust that the Spirit's making that clear to you. It may be that you are so consumed with your own turmoil right now that you just need to go to God in prayer, just you, that you desperately need to beg God to put his hand on you, and that's good too. That's okay too. It may be that you're in a desperate situation as such that you really want someone to pray for you, to bring you to God and beg on your behalf. Okay, so we're going to have this prayer time, and if if you want someone to pray with you, I invite you to come up here, and I'll pray with you up here. Or if if someone knows your situation, you can just maybe get their attention. Y'all come pray up here together. Um, It'll be kind of unstructured. We're just going to pray for a little bit. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us through that. But I'm up here to pray with you. Feel free to pray where you sit or to come pray at the altar here. We're just going to spend some time in prayer based on the realization that God very individually knows and loves each and every one of us and each and every one of the people that we're concerned about. So would you bow with me and we'll pray together.